Job done for the high-flying shark on Friday night as a Marlin Yard hat-trick helped Sale steamroll over a Leicester side languishing at the bottom of the table by 36 points to three. That win means Sale are now up to second in the Premiership table at the halfway mark of the season as the club continues to make a sustained push for the playoffs. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank and joining me to discuss the high-flying Sharks are my co-hosts Alex and James. Alex, how are you? I'm very good, mate. All the better for seeing a pretty comprehensive win on Friday night and another game where I've taped it on BT Sport beforehand and not had to go home and immediately delete it. So, uh, what more can you ask for as a Sharks fan? How are you? Oh, very well, like you said, uh, being able to talk about such a positive result from Friday and such an efficient professional performance as well is one that I know we've, for the last couple of years, been talking about as, as something Sale really needs to perfect and it was definitely something that they managed to do last weekend. Uh, James, how are you? Well, a bit the same as Alex. Got home at about half twelve on uh, Saturday night. Well, early Sunday. No, hang on. When was it? It was Friday night we played, wasn't it? So early Saturday morning. Um, you a bit worse for wear at this point, mate. You what? Were you a bit worse for wear at this point? Given I, 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 I had a few gins, I had a few beers, just, you know, just sampled a few of the delights of St Albans pubs and I got home and then made my wife watch the whole sale game, um, which kind of put a dampener on date night, frankly. <laughs> so, anyway, for me, it was the perfect ending. <laughs> Your current wife is this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well. the same. Well, I mean, perhaps we should be asking uh, your missus then, uh, James, what she thought of uh, Sale's uh, emphatic win on, on Friday night. But I suppose we'll just have to make do with you for now. And, and let's kick off things with with, uh, with a quick review of that performance. Obviously, five tries, fantastic performance for Marlon Yard. You know, great performances all over the field. Complete dominance in a lot of aspects from a Sale perspective. But James, I mean... Granted, you might have watched this game a little worse for you know uh, on Saturday morning. But what, what did you make of, of Sale's performance on Friday night? You know, is this where we should be trumpeting, uh, you know, a very professional victory from the Sharks, or is there anything else that you think needs to be taken in context when we look back at uh, at uh, quite a successful Friday night for Sale? Well, I, I think Leicester were woeful, weren't they? Um, you know, pr- pretty bloody awful, um, and we sort of matched them in the awfulness stakes for the first sort of 15, 20 minutes or so. But I thought it was very comprehensive from that point on and we were kind of the only only team out there. Uh, I think if I'd been the, the Leicester coaches, I would have been pretty disappointed. I thought we, would, we scored some really good tries in open play. It wasn't all off first phase possession. We've been a bit critical that, you know, if we, if we don't score off first or second phase, we kind of run out of ideas. But actually, we were quite dangerous in, in open play, especially considering the conditions weren't perfect either. I thought it was um, an excellent performance. And just being second in the league, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time that happened. I mean, I, I don't know if, if any of you guys know, but I mean, I think it's a moment to savour, isn't it? Whatever happens for the rest of the season. Absolutely. The fact that going into this season with what's happened with Saracens and, and the World Cup and everything else... It, it felt there was very much an opportunity at the top of the table for Sale to compete for a playoff pace and, and if nothing else, a, a Champions Cup place as well. But with how Saracens have, have sort of fallen off with with, um, with the salary cap scandal and the fact that Exeter look head and shoulders above everybody else, all of a sudden it feels like it's not just an opportunity for Sale to, to get the top six and push for the top four. 
now's our chance to really cement our place in in the top four and and push for a home playoff um, semi final. And we were really critical last week about the fact we we missed and, and wasted an opportunity away at a, a weakened Saracens team to really cement our place in that top four, but. We rebounded in basically the perfect way last night, uh, uh, on Friday night, with a pretty poor Leicester team, let's not make any bones about it, that we just comprehensively swept away. We were very professional, we dispatched them, we, we beat them all over the park. And although we will face sterner tests you know, as we, as we head into the second half of the season, I think it's really encouraging that when we had a second bite at the cherry to cement our place in the top four and, and you know keep the heat on Exeter whilst also pulling away from the likes of Gloucester and Northampton. We were able to do that. And at the end of the day, you can only beat what's in front of you. And as poor as Leicester were, I think there's there's a lot of positives to take from a from a sale perspective. Uh, Alex, what, what was your immediate takeaway from, from sales pummeling of the Tigers on Friday night? Um, just a really professional performance, as you've already said. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad we did it on telly um, and sort of made a bit of a mark on the league, I think. I think people are going to start to take us pretty seriously now. And, and that's a big challenge for the team to sort of deal with that that pressure of being second in the table as we at the end of the weekend. Um, but it, it's just so good to see us, you know, I, it, let's... As James said, this was a really poor Leicester performance, and they are a heavily weakened side. Who are, who even when they've got all their best players are not, you know, a, a, a good side. They haven't really got the forward pack to compete anymore like they used to. Um, all of their England representation is majorly in the backs. You think in the likes of Ford, May, Youngs, um, and you know, we just we we ended up bothering them, and it was it was a really good performance from us. But I think we were made to look good by a really poor Leicester side. Um, so you, you can only play what you what's up against you, can't you? You know, you can we we dispatch them with a bonus point. What more can you want in awful conditions? I think the way we managed the first half, to be fair, playing against the wind was really really good. Um, to keep them to three points in the whole game is impressive, but to do it in the first half when, you know, you saw in the second half how hard it was to get out of that bottom left-hand corner where Leicester ended up spending most of the second half um, because every time you kick it, it just comes back towards you. Um, and it's hard to run against the wind. So I think the way we managed that first half was really good. Um, sort of sat in, soaked up a bit of pressure and then um, took our opportunities when they came, and then in the second half we just um, extended that lead through a few, you know, a few really good bits of play. I think Sam James had one of the best games I've seen him have, um, and obviously really happy for Molyneux picking a Patrick, um, and hopefully he can kick on from there. But you know, it's it was a weak and Leicester side. Let's not you know get too excited about it. But you, you've got to beat them, and you've got to beat them with a bonus point, and we did. So you really can't ask for any more um, from that performance for me. So, so on that, Alex, I think the one gripe most Sale fans will take with with the Sharks' performance on Friday was the fact that it did take us quite a long time to get into the game. Sale didn't score the first try until 30 minutes, and that actually came down quite fortuitous, fortuitously uh, from a Bryn Evans um, sort of charge down attempt on, a, on an inexperienced scrum half for Leicester. And it did kind of feel 
like Sale were playing down to Leicester, uh, especially at the, at the beginning of the game. And I, know I quite infamously now tweeted, you know, this is this is pretty dreadful, um, given some of the mistakes we were making and the fact that we weren't making any sort of real territory or, or hard yards. Do you think the reason for Sale's slow start, which ultimately they overcame and, and, and sort of swept aside, do you think that was down to just how poor the conditions were on Friday, given that you yourself were there in the stands and, and maybe able to see it firsthand in a way that... Uh, people watching at home might not have been able to. Oh, I think it was it was partially that, but I think just the inaccuracy from us dropping balls, you know, the amount of errors we made in that first half, in that first 30 minutes. And you saw that we stopped, once we stopped making the errors, we started scoring points, didn't we? You know, I think an element of it is the weather and the conditions, but um, there was, you know, that maybe would have, um, excuse some of it, but most of it is just sloppy passes, not going to hand, weren't really switched on. And then I think we sort of, once we worked out the conditions and worked out that it was really hard to catch the ball and really hard to keep hold of it in contact, then we started to play a little bit safer, but also more accurately. And once we played accurately, we just played them away, didn't we? Um, you know, I think, yeah, part of it was the conditions because it was horrendous. Um, not good conditions to play rugby and I was sort of sat there thinking this is why I'm glad I don't play often anymore because it's these kind of nights when you just thought oh this is the last thing I want to be doing um but in most most of it was just as you could see the inaccuracy it's whether the inaccuracy was down to the weather but fundamentally professional rugby players should be able to deal with the conditions and we did ultimately so I'm not saying you know that we can't deal with them but um for me yeah it was just errors from us that stopped us going ahead in the first half. Um, probably slightly sort of um, exaggerated by the weather, and if it had been a nice night, we'd probably have absolutely blown them away. Um, but I still don't think there's an excuse there if the weather was bad. I just think we managed that well, and once we stopped making mistakes, and relatively simple mistakes they were, um, then you saw we started scoring points. It's reassuring that we can have uh, a spate of 20 five, 30 minutes in, in one of the halves and then probably another 10, 15 in the, in the second half and still put 36 points on a team and, and win by five tries to not. That is definitely something I think that's uh, that's reassuring. Uh, let's do some few word reviews then. And um, so as always, we've asked uh, our listeners to contribute there. Takeaways from sales uh, win over Leicester. Uh, Alistair, Sterner test next, referencing the Gloucester game next Friday. Uh, Dan Potts, Leicester need relegation. Uh, Matt Sansbury, Brick Wall 22. Alex Etherington, defence wins titles. Richard Higgs, James for England. I presume he's talking about Sam, but he might be also referring to Luke, who had another good game. Uh, Nick Fogarty, 36 unanswered points. Very good point. Uh, Simon Holman, uh, Sam James Sublime, uh, Lee Watson, second at halfway, Kieran Critchard, delighted for Marland, Joe Russell, well played Marland, uh, and finally Simon, a muddy dwarf, Marland, Marland, Marland. So there is a theme here, James, that I want to ask you about. Obviously, the big story from Sales win was a hat trick for, for Marlon Yard. Uh, what did you make of his performance on Friday night? And do you think this is a, a sign of things to come for, for Yard as he continues to come back from injury? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of Sale fans who were kind of underestimated the impact of the injury that he had. I mean, I think he was lucky to play again. And uh, just you only have to go back a few weeks ago and there's a few people maybe suggesting that, that Marlon could move on to create space in the cap for 
for someone else coming in. Um, but well, he's always had raw potential. And when he was on fire just before his injury at the beginning of last season, he was on England form. We all discussed it, didn't we, on this pod? We felt he was there or thereabouts to make a late run for the World Cup squad. Um, it wasn't to be. Um, and he's come back and it's taken a bit of time for him to get back up to speed in terms of reading the game, um, having the confidence to take that pace and power into contact. Um, following the play, you know, you, you can't be rusty to, to play the way that the likes of uh, Ashton and he does. They they follow the ball and that's why they score tries. And, you know, he was he was absolutely brilliant. You know, he's, he was aggressive. Um, he, he showed some good finishes. Uh, I, th- I think it wasn't a game where he got tested defensively that much, which is probably the, the weaker part of his game. But it just shows how lucky we are to have somebody with, you know, however many England caps he's got you know, in the squad who's only played because Byron McGuigan's with Scotland. And uh, we've just never been in that position before. And, you know, the likes of Tom Roebuck and Aaron Reid must be learning so much off the training paddock. So I'm just, I for one, am just absolutely delighted for him, you know, and welcome back. No, no, absolutely. And I think it was very, pal- it was very palpable just how pleased a lot of cell fans were in the ground and obviously on Twitter as well. Um, you know, to see uh, Batsu's best and doing what he does best in, in scoring tries, given that he's had obviously quite a tumultuous return back from injury. And obviously there were questions asked about his long-term career, both at Sale and in rugby, uh, and obviously how he fits into uh, the Sale squad moving forward, given that we're beginning to get pressed against the salary cap. So great to see him um, make the most of his opportunity in the Premiership and obviously put together a fantastic performance that uh, he's very unlucky not to get man of the match for, but that speaks to how well Rob Webber played as well. Uh, Alex, obviously kind of lost in the Marlon Yard sort of celebration and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, relief from, from sale fans. It's just how well Robert Dupree played um, on, on Friday night. And he's someone I wanted to sort of zero in on a little bit because actually for two of Marlon Yard's tries, what you saw was really good link play from Rob Dupree playing uh, in the 10 role, playing as the primary playmaker and actually taking the ball with speed to the line and actually drawing defenders in and then having Yard on his shoulder uh, as, a, as an outlet to release into the gap that had formed as a result. And obviously, two fantastic finishes uh, from Yard and he deserves a lot of credit for working well with Dupree to, to, to have that awareness and, and to play off uh, Dupree's shoulder. But... I wanted to, you know, check in with yourself and, and, and make sure that we're giving Rob Dupree enough credit for, for sort of steering a lot of the most positive aspects of sales play on, on Friday, because I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And, and a real reason why we were able to ultimately pull away from Leicester so quickly and so decisively once we did start to manage the game and, and cut out mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... What you firstly, Rob Dupree's decision making was excellent. The soft hands for the first yard try were just brilliant. The timing of the pass, um, and as you say, the whole game just the way he um, was able to get around the outside and then make those killer passes and make them at the right time, make them accurately. It was really good. His kicking in the conditions was also superb. Uh, I think he was five out of six. Um, and you know, some of them were the one where he just bent it in. Um, from the left-hand touchline um, and use the wind to, to curl it in was fantastic. Um, but 
I think the other person who sort of deserves some credit in that is Simon Hammersley, because what you, what I saw was that Hammersley was coming in as either that first receiver or second receiver, but quite often the first receiver and keeping the game moving. And so, you know, when Rob Dupree has taken the ball in or he's moved it on and he's looking to get around the outside, Hammersley was able to keep the pace of the ball. So we're not, you know, going to a slow breakdown and having a forward take it on and giving their defence time to realign. Hammersley was moving it quickly and I'm pretty sure, I think I'm right in saying for the Yard's first try, it's Hammersley who actually takes it at first receiver to then feed um, Rob Dupree. I'm not sure if that's right, but that's the way I remember it. Either way, the, what happens is Dupree gets on the outside in sort of that 12 channel as a playmaker rather than the 10 channel, um, which allows him to exploit the gaps in that Leicester defence a lot more easily because there's more space out there. Um, so, you know, Dupree are absolutely brilliant. I think he's really, really grown into the starting 10 role. Um, it's a massive shame for AJ. Um, with his injuries and that kind of thing, that he's not, you know, um, not able to compete as he would like to. But you know, it's fantastic to have a player like Rob Dupree, and his kicking is really, really good now. I think you know there was a little bit um, at the start of the season, his kicking form wasn't quite there, um, but his accuracy in his passing and and sort of his defensive abilities and um, the way he sort of moves the chains as a ten, um, I think has been getting better and better all season. But yeah, just as I think Hammersley really contributes to that as that second playmaker role coming in from fullback, um, which, you know, you saw it in kind of the best plays. Um, I think Yard's third try, Hammersley takes it at first receiver and flings it out wide. So um, between the two of them, having that dual playmaker was really, really good. And it, because Hammersley's coming in from 15, it means you don't have to sacrifice that sort of hard ball carrying 12 in Luke James or Rohan when he's fit. Um that you would otherwise have to do to get two playmakers in the team. Yeah. Well, whilst we're on this momentum of, of talking about the, the standout performances, uh, I'd be loath not to give James uh, another chance to wax lyrical about Sam James, who had another fantastic game for sale on Friday and, and linked very well with what Alex was describing there between Dupriya and Hammersley as the, the primary uh, playmaker or the uh, first receiver. Uh, and then obviously Sam James was someone like Dupriya who was able to really uh, stretch the Leicester defence and create attacking opportunities once the ball was moved wide. So James, you know, just a, just a chance here for, for you to, to go off on what I uh, assume is a well-prepared speech about just how good Sam James is. But obviously, you know, how just how good has he been for sale this season and how good was he on, on Friday? I think this has been his best season for sale. He came back for he, was, he had some injury issues at the beginning of the year. He's been playing at thirteen, you know, which is his his best position. James O'Connor's moved on; it's just allowed him to own it. Um, we haven't been shunting around between ten and fifteen. By the way, I think that you know his time that he spent at ten in the previous seasons and at fifteen has really helped develop his game. So I don't think we should un- underestimate that. Um, but, you know, he's at his best in those slightly wider channels when he gets those famous pins moving, uh, you know, the dummy and the go. And then the, the, to have the, um, the touch at full pelt to put a grubber through as delicate as he did. Do you know how bloody difficult that is? That, you know, I would have shinned it dead. You know, like it, it really was an exceptional piece of of skill and uh, we're very lucky to have him on the team because for me, you know, Slade's just back from injury, barely played this year. Uh, too long he looked back to his best, but, you know, he's been out for a couple of Six Nations games. I, I couldn't understand and I still can't understand why Sam James wasn't in the England squad to start the Six Nations. I think we can say that 
you know, Eddie Jones isn't is not a fan and and his time, at least under this coach, is is not going to come. And and if it doesn't come, if it's not a changing coach before the next World Cup, then he probably isn't going to get to play for England, which I think is a massive shame because I think he's got a similar skill set to Slade. Um, in some areas he's stronger and in, in some areas we, weaker. But he's he's just been on absolute fire. That you know the way he, he, he delivers his passing, he can kick off both feet. You know the kick, his kicks to touch off penalties have massively improved in distance. He's getting a lot more confidence with with that now. Um, he's le- you know he's leading the defense at thirteen as well. With you know his defense is, is massively improved this year, and he defends well in the thirteen channel where he's exposed in other positions. And uh, you know obviously Marlon Yard was was fortunate to be on the end of one of those kicks. Um, that, that put it through. So now Sam James was excellent. I think there was another couple of people uh, just to give a shout out to. I had Hammersley in as well, who I thought had a really solid game. I thought he was um, explosive through the first tackle, which we haven't really seen for most of this season. You know, he's kind of solid, stands up in 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 the tackle for long enough for support to get to him. He makes good decisions about when to kick and when to hold on to the ball. But I thought this time what he was doing, he's taking the the ball back to the line and then stepping one way or the other to beat the first defender and then driving his legs forward um, and giving you know more of a target for back rows to get around and get over the ball and try and create momentum over turnover ball rather than just fielding difficult kicks. I thought that was a big move forward for Simon Hamsley. And then, you know, I... I think we can expect Bryn Evans to retire at the end of the season. We know Rob Webber is retiring, but they're going to be losses because they, they, they're leaders on the pitch. You know, Bryn Evans, that charge down, try, changed the game. Because before yeah. that, we were as dreadful as Leicester. Um, so I think we're going to really miss them. No, I think absolutely right to pinpoint Webber and, and Evans. In a performance that had a lot of standout players, it is... Sometimes the, the players that get the basics done that offer that platform for the likes of Sam James and Rob Dupree and Marlon Yard, you know, to, to get the glory and real unsung heroes, perhaps less so with Sale because, you know, we talk about Weber and, and Evans a lot and, and they are, do seem to be properly rated um, by the by the Sale sort of fan community. But obviously, as Alex mentioned before, the bright lights of the BT Sport cameras on TV, you know, you, you really do get an appreciation of just how important these players are and, and how good a a squad that Sailor built for this premiership. There's, there's probably 80, 85% of the squad are above average premiership players without necessarily being, you know, recognised internationals. And, and Sam James, who you mentioned before, James, kind of feels to me like one of those players where his, uh, England's lost his sales game in, insofar that it means he can play 20, one twenty-two games a season for us in the Premiership and, and a few more in Europe as well, and, and we don't really have to lose him for a long period of time. Um, you know, obviously that's not the case for players like Tom Curry, but the vast majority of sales squad are above that Premiership sort of standard. Uh, a lot of them are good enough to play for for Tier One and Tier Two uh, international teams. They don't for whatever reason. But that just means that it gives us the full access to our squad all see all years all year round, and that's why we're now being able to put. Together performances like we saw on on Friday to pummel teams like Leicester, who who do see a big drop off when they lose their international players, and that's a big reason why we're we're second in the league now. Um, and I think you know there's 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 so much positivity. I mean, last week aside away at Saracens, there's so much positivity around the club at the moment. Alex, it feels really difficult not to envision Sale kicking on for the second half of the season, and and, and like we mentioned off the top, really cementing that place in the top four. 
Yeah, I think um, Martin Yard made a good point in his post-match interview that, you know, we have had this habit of going win-loss, win-loss, and it's about building that consistency. If you want to get top four, and certainly if you want to get home semi-final, you can't, you know, this season's a slight exception, but you can't just go win-lose, win-lose, win-lose. We need to put a run of games together where we actually um, get results. And I think it's a tough ask because, you know, next up is Gloucester away, which is... um, you know, a pretty hard game in any case. It's also going to be a really big game for them. Um, them making it their mental health game and um, all the stuff with Danny. So I think it'll be quite an emotional occasion as well. Um, so, you know, from the rugby side, it's a really difficult test. Um, going into the back half of the season, you know, we then go into a home game at Irish, which I'm sure that um, we should be able to win. And then I think is our next game at home to Exeter, have we gotten away? Um, so you know it's it's one of those where in any case whatever the set of fixtures is it's about getting that momentum in results now because we've shown that we can beat the best team in the league at their own ground so we've got it in us to beat every team wherever we play them it's about building that and doing that week on week on week um, so yeah I think you know it, it gives us confidence for the rest of the season There's a, there is as you say a real buzz around it and I think we're getting that buzz from People external to sale as well, which is quite unusual. You know, sometimes we'll be sat there, we'll be sat here going, "Oh yeah, we look really good," and this there might be a season we can push top four. Um, but no one really notices until it gets to two weeks to go, and someone goes, "Oh, sale, you know, still in with a chance of top four. But people are really talking about us now. So if we can, you know, put a good run of results together, then that is really going to propel us up the table because no one's playing well really this season. Exeter are playing okay. Um, but, you know, I don't think any of us would say we've had a good season by all accounts, and yet we're second. So it is there for the taking, you know. The, the league is a, a very strange league this season where, you know, you can move up and down very quickly. So putting together a good run of results is um, it's just a massive opportunity for us this season. So if we can do that, then um, there's, there's massive hype around it. If we go to Gloucester and lose... It just, you know, you just get back into that cycle of win-loss, win-loss, don't you? And it, you then need two games to put that right because you need to win one and then win another. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what with team selection we make for Gloucester and whether, you know, we're now going right, we're kicking on and trying to win every game or whether it's another sort of, oh, Gloucester away, tricky game. Let's hold our hold our players back for, for the week after. I think it, the point you made there about being consistent in a league where no one's playing particularly well and getting that good run of results going as well is a lot easier to do during the Six Nations where we do not get as adversely affected by it as a lot of teams. And we saw on Friday, let's not forget, so we're very undermanned. You know, they were miss, we were missing four or five of our absolute best players, but it shows our strength and depth and the strength of our squad where we're in a similar situation to Leicester of not having our four or five best players, but we were still able to comprehensively you know, beat them. And it does feel like now is the time for us to kick on and, and get that consistency moving forward. Because if we put together a run of three or four wins on the bounce, there's a good chance we're very comfortable in second come the season's end. Uh, James, before we do a big deep dive into the stats from uh, Friday's game, is there anything else from the Leicester game that you'd like to mention? No, I don't think so. Um, I've, I think I've covered all, all the players. I, I agree with Alex, though. And we'll get on to that a bit later on, but we've, we've got to start backing up these performances. I think what it does show is if we get a home semi-final, you know, extra look out on their own at the moment, but anyone can lose a one-off game, can't they? So I think our peak performance, we're a match for anybody in the league, including including Exeter, 
the issue that we have is that we're just not consistent. So that, that's what we need to start seeing. Right, let's uh, let's do some stats then. Alex? Oh, it's good to be back. I haven't stats for ages. Um, so, to start with, obviously, we absolutely battered Leicester. And the stats are pretty resemblant of the fact that we battered Leicester. So, um, you won't be surprised by much of it, but... Um, 60% possession and 61% territory um, just sort of reinforces our dominance and I think a lot of that's second half as well um, we made 278 metres off 120 carries um, which is basically more than double Leicester's metres they made 123 off 65 carries um, third half the carries they just didn't get into the game you know I think we're at uh, 2.32 metres per carry they were at 1.89 so um, we just looked more dangerous than them. Um, that's backed up by other attacking stats, 10 offloads to Leicester's two, which in the conditions is actually quite impressive. Uh, 27 defenders beaten to Leicester's nine, and we only conceded six penalties in the game to their 18. Um, it is just a thrashing, but it's nice to read them out, so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, our defensive um, tackle success rate, 90%, so we made 78 tackles in the game out of 87. Um, again, we didn't have to make that many, but we didn't miss that many. Um, Leicester, down at 84%, made 147 tackles and missed 27. Um, so going into sort of individual players and top stats, um, top carriers, Dan Dupria with 14, Rob Weber with 12, uh, Sale make up the top five carriers. Um, we also have the second top tackler in Mark Wilson with 11, which is a really good effort given how dominant we were. And top meter maker in the game by some way was Marlon Yard with 72. Um, next after him was Talusa Biani with 38, so he's well ahead there. Um, just looking at defensively, obviously a game where we didn't really have a lot of defending to do, um, but some good performances from Ross Harrison off the bench with 10 tackles. And then the back row, John O'Ross, 9 out of 11 tackles. Mark Wilson, 11 out of 12. And Dan Dupree, 9 out of 10. No one else really had to make... Well, no one else made more than four. So that tells you about um, how much defensive work our, especially our backs had to do. Um, but still a good shift. And, you know, keeping Leicester out, it's that tight tackles and those one-up where we dominated them quite a lot of the time, I think, that then meant that, you know, our backs didn't really have to do much defensive work. In attack, um, a couple of big performances. I mentioned Marlon Yard there, 72 metres off seven carries, averaging 10.3 a carry. Uh, shout out to Will Cliff, who made 24 metres off five carries. And then in the forwards, Rob Webber, 22 metres off 12 carries, which um, I think sort of got him his man in the match award, as well as something I'm coming on to later. Um, and then also Jean-Luc Dupria with nine carries and Dan Dupree with 14. Um, so you're seeing the Dupreeers do all that really hard carrying work. And, you know, they're, they're making metres 26 for Dan, 16 for Jean-Luc. But then they're also getting the ball away, you know, two offloads for Jean-Luc, three offloads for um, Dan Dupree. And, you know, then they're beating defenders as well. So um, the, what they bring to the team is, is just massive in terms of keeping that attack going and they're able to do it in not great conditions, to be fair. Um, Marlon Yard also six defenders beaten um, and Simon Hammersley four defenders beaten um, so two good performances from them um, as I said only six penalties conceded three on the scrum but not a lot there turnovers we conceded 16 which is a heck of a lot um, Leicester only conceded nine 
eight of ours were drop balls, um, which are kind of understandable in the condition. Um, and then the rest were just sort of less to turn us over, um, either carrying us into touch or rooks and moles, etc. Um, scrums, 100% on our own feed, and Leicester were 67% on their own feed, so completely dominated, as we saw from all the scrum penalties we won. And then finally, best start of the um, whole game, which I was saying until the end, lineouts. Leicester had six and didn't lose any, which is, uh, you know, pretty decent, 100%. Sale had 24 and didn't lose any, which is ridiculous. Um, Bryn Evans won 14, Dan Dupree won seven, and then one each for Jean-Luc Dupree, John Ross, and Matt Mosselthwaite. Rob Webber, 22 of those um, thrown in, and Curtis Landon, two. So considering we were a team who couldn't win a line-out three months ago, <laughs> that's a hell of a start. So, yeah, I think that rounds it off quite nicely. I was going to say, that is an amazing stat to, to end on. And it looks like Sale had brilliant performances all around the pitch, not only in terms of uh, the, the eye test and what we watched on TV and in the stands, but obviously the stats by fed up as well. So that's always good to hear. So Sale had a great game on Friday night and so did a lot of their players. But one player that we're not going to be seeing in a Sale shirt uh, for a considerable amount of time, at least, is Cameron Redpath, who it was announced today has left the club with immediate effect to join Bath on a three-year contract. Uh, James, this is something that's been uh, quite, you know, rumoured for the last sort of week, week and a half, two weeks now. Uh, So obviously it doesn't come as too much of a surprise, but what was your initial reaction to the news that Redpath has has left sale and and with immediate effect as well to join a, a premiership rival? Well, you can look at it through a couple of lenses. One lens you can look at is... He was given an opportunity at the beginning of this year. He was definitely ahead of Luke James in the pecking order. Um, when Sam James was injured, he was given the run out at 13. Um, he then had a random game at 15 where he took a knock. But he hasn't really shown the you know the, the ability to go with the height. Um, and you could say, well, we've got Luke James, we've got Connor Doherty, uh, we've got, um, you know, the likes of Kieran Wilkinson, Tom Curses and things. These are all youngsters that are ultimately going to be moving through having academy contracts and needing to go on senior contracts that we're going to have to be up in our wages for if they showed the potential that they that they have. So, you know, you, there's going to be some losers in all of that. The issue is that there's another lens to look at it through in that the losers could be us um, in a sense that I think he did have or does have exceptional potential, but beyond your average uh, academy graduate. You know, he was essentially picked for the under-20s uh, at the first time of asking, uh, a year young. He, he was only a couple of days from qualifying from this year's uh, uh, under-20s tournament. You know, he's he's literally, you know, I think it was like the 29th of December or something is his birthday. So, He's literally just turned 20. And to have even 20 um, senior level appearances for sale at that age is is quite exceptional. And, you know, he's been in and around uh, the senior sale camp, uh, sorry, senior England camp. Don't forget, he was picked to tour South Africa uh, a couple of years ago. It was only um, a very serious knee injury that prevented him doing so. Um, I think... He clearly has the potential. I don't think it's in argument. I think it's it's seen by so many people that he can do exceptional things. That this is not just your your average uh, academy graduate. The problem is, is that he's had 
two very serious knee injuries. Well, one one injury that that has struggled to go away, basically, and needed two big operations on it. That has clearly stunted his development. You know, he's uh, he's physically not as well uh, developed as Luke James which I think makes a difference when you're making a step up in the centre. I think it's slightly different when you're playing on the wing or at full back or even at, at scrum half or fly half. At centre, you need to be that slightly more developed because you've got to carry the ball. You've also got to basically defend really, really strongly, not just against opposition centres and 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 tracking you know back backs moves and, and strike runners but also some heavy carrying up the middle through back rowers and such like and I just don't think he's quite he's quite there so I, I think whichever lens you, you look at it you, you'll see it in a completely different way what it does say is that you know we've lost someone of high potential to another club which we said wasn't going to happen again under the new ownership um, so that's why I think there's been a bit of a big deal about it and why Steve Diamond has felt the need to come out with quite a large statement about it. And, and the centrepiece of it is, well, he, he wanted to move. Um, he didn't want to be at sale. Bath have obviously offered him, with their injuries in the centre, the opportunity for the rest of the season to play rugby. Um, and I think he's seen what's happening with with Luke James's form and Sam James's form and obviously Van Rensburg when he's fit and thinking... I'm going to struggle to get much game time here in the centre. And that's why he's gone to Bath. And on a three-year contract, senior-level contract, why wouldn't you take that opportunity? I believe um, his dad still lives down in the southwest, um, um, So he's, he's moved back down that way. So maybe there's a family reason as well, um, as well as a financial reason. He's had his head turned by Bath. It's a professional game. You can kind of understand it. It's just a bit of a shame. And, you know, there's a bit of criticism on Twitter that's creeping through to say, oh, well, we've gone with the kind of off-the-shelf SAFA model. Um, And, you know, we're not going to develop our, you know, high-potential youngsters from the region. And I do think we're open to that claim now. I'm going to be careful about it. I don't think it's true in the centre. I think we've got... The reason why he's not playing is because there's Luke James, who's 20, who's playing really, really well. So, um, you know, he, he decided he didn't want to be patient at sale. Um, he didn't want to wait for the increments uh, to his contract to improve. He didn't engage with Steve Diamond, talking to him about, you know, a new contract and, and therefore he's taking matters into his into his own hands. So it is sad, definitely. No question, no argument. It's a, it's a sad situation. But you can't have somebody at the club who doesn't want to be here. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And... It does feel in this situation that there must be something larger at play because just because you're not playing for a couple of weeks and months after you've been given an extended run in the first team to open the season, as Redpath was, that, you know, not playing for a few weeks doesn't isn't a reason why players, especially 20, up sticks and, and leaves their team for a premiership rival. So there is obviously a, a larger element to this, whether or not it is the sort of family connection, it, I can't. We can't actually confirm this, but it does appear that the um, the opportunity for a senior contract at Bath looks like it um, had some impact. Um, I, we can't confirm it exactly, but it does appear that uh, Red Path was part of the five year deal he signed at Sale that was uh, originally on academy terms, and it was likely that the contract would increase and probably uh, transition to a senior contract after X amount of appearances. Uh, that's usually how those sort of things are structured. Uh, but it does appear that Bath are coming with a with a senior level contract for him straight away, so he'll be a part of their their first teams, no ifs and ifs and buts. Um, and it is obviously something that appears to to have been brewing for for a while, obviously, which is why it's led to an immediate 
release from from his contract with Sale and, and the opportunity to join Bath. But you're absolutely right, James. You know, you, you, if Redpath is unhappy, as we've seen in in the past, you know, it can be a detriment to the squad. And and Sale are probably right to to let him go and, and pursue the opportunity that he wants to pursue. And I think the other side of it is, whilst Redpath is spoken of as this very mercurial talent, he's he's very highly rated. He was probably the best. Uh, to borrow an, an Americanism prospect in our system, he is um, he, he is currently being outplayed by Luke James, and we do have other options that are coming through in the centres. And actually, where the natural fit for him at the moment appears to be is probably at twelve, backing up by Rensburg. But the way Sale plays depending on having a, a, a big bruising ball carrier to smash people in the tackle at twelve, which is what Van Rensburg does well, and Luke James kind of fits slightly uh, slightly better at. Um, in that position, and it does appear that maybe for the next couple of years, Redpath do, has his progress into the cell first team blocks because of that. And if he's somebody who is being touted as a future England international, if he's someone who's training with the, the senior England team as he was a couple of weeks ago, it might be that he's made the decision for his career to go somewhere where he can play, um, not, maybe not every week, but a lot more consistently than he has at Sale, and obviously sort of accelerate his development in that way. But I think it is also really, really pertinent to remember that we shouldn't consider Redpath leaving as a result of, of having too many South Africans in the squad or, or not giving the opportunities. Like you said, James, he's had two years out with, with, with injury. And actually, when he has been fit, he's been given opportunities in, in the sales team, just like everyone else uh, in our academy has. And it does appear that, in, from my perspective, Redpath doesn't look physically developed enough yet, especially to be playing 12 um, at the, uh, the premiership level. Um, and he is someone who's probably going to develop from from a slightly longer gestation period somewhere else. And if that happens at Bath, well, you know, so so be it. But it does mean it is a loss for the club, absolutely. Um, but I think you know, Redpath goes with our best wishes, and it does appear that you know, there's a larger context here that that means Sale are comfortable with allowing him to to leave with a with immediate effect. Uh, you know, so suddenly, uh, Alex, what was your what was your take on the on, on the Redpath situation? Yeah, I think I echo what you guys have said. I um, think all of those are very fair points. I think, you know, fundamentally, you, you've got a player who doesn't want to be at the club anymore. Um, so it, there are two options. He's on a five-year deal, so you can have him sitting around for two and a half years being unhappy, um, or three and a half years as it would have been, or you can let him go. And, and I think it's a massive shame, as, as James has said, um, to lose someone... Because he's in the academy, he's you know come through the academy. He's a really highly rated player. Um, I, I think the, it was more the academy side that's a shame for me. I think you know keeping those players would be really good. But um, I think you know the, the pertinent point is the reason he's not playing is because Luke James and Sam James are both playing better than him, um, and they're two academy players as well. So you know it's it's one of those where we've, we've developed three really really good centres there. One of them's left because he's very good and he's not getting the game time. Um, what would you rather do? You know, would you rather your options are to keep hold of an unhappy player or, or sort of to a let him go and play rugby elsewhere and and sort of pursue that England career, um, where which will probably be much more, um, it'll be more visible at Bath and he'll get more game time. So it makes perfect sense for him. Um, for Sale, it's it's a shame to lose the centre because I don't think we're overly stacked in the centres. But you don't want someone who doesn't want to play for the club, and um, you know we've we've 
we've not been forced into this. It's not, you know, back in the... I, I think it's very different to the old days of losing Academy talent, where they were going to Wasps and wherever else, because we couldn't afford to pay them the same, and they didn't think they'd get their England ambitions at our club. I do think it's different. I think it's that we've got a very strong squad now, so people will leave if they're not getting game time. And it's a risky take. You know, we're spending up to the cap. We're going to have... We've, we've got a lot of very good players who, are, who expect, probably rightly, to start games. And if they're not, then they are going to get unhappy and they're going to go elsewhere where they can start games. So if, if that seems to be the case to me, um, I think the only thing we can take from it as a club is go, why has he left? And if the reason that he's left is because he's not getting game time and we're happy with the players who are getting game time, then there's no issue. If there's another reason he's left, that you know he's unhappy for whatever reason, then we have to look at that reason. But none of us are going to know that, obviously, and it's probably between Cameron Path, Steve Diamond and, and sort of the inner squad. So... Um, I think people are sensible enough to, if there is an issue, address it. But from what I've seen, and this is purely um, my own speculation, I, I feel like it's he's not getting game time. He's been offered a better contract at Bath. And there's a lot of reasons he would want to go and play there and get first-team game time. They've probably said to him, you know, we've not got a lot of sense, so you're going to get a load of game time. Um, so just wishing the best. You know, it's, it's a shame to lose an academy player. But as you've said, I think the outcome is is the only real one that you could see, you know, out of that situation with a player who doesn't want to be at sale anymore. Um, And I think the massive point is that the reason he's not playing is because we've got very good academy players or very good players who have come from our academy ahead of him. So, um, you know, we've produced too many good centres, so what a nightmare. Um, But... Yeah, just a shame to see him go, but totally understand the reasons and best of luck to him. And I do hope he plays for England because he is brilliant. And, you know, we've seen highlights and flashes of, of that brilliance at sale. Um, it'll be painful to see him do it at Bath, but that's that's the way rugby works as a professional game, isn't it? Can I just yeah, make a couple of other points on, on this before we, before we move on to, ne- to next week? Um, of course. First is that, um, you know, putting these youngsters on these long-term contracts that we've done with the the last two or three years, we've sort of got them on these four or five-year contracts for the sort of handful of the top players. And one reason to do that is to make sure that, you know, we're not losing them to other clubs and we're nailing them down and make sure they develop where we are. But it also shows that where you do get someone who is an exceptional talent who ends up moving mid-contract, we are reimbursed for this. So it's protecting the club financially for it. Um, from what you know, we've heard as, as, as rumours, or what I've heard as rumours, is that you know, there's a six-figure uh, transfer fee and that this it kind of goes up in, in value if he ends up being a, a, full, a full international um, with appearances for, for England or maybe even Scotland, who knows. Um, so I think that that shows that at least the club is in a strong enough position now to kind of protect its talent it nurtures its talent and if we end up losing it then we're compensated so 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 that's quite nice obviously if he does go on to play for play internationals and he's developed somewhere else then it is going to be sales loss overall um i do wonder whether eddie calling him up to the senior squad every five minutes has kind of changed his mindset and made it quite difficult to deal with you know when you when you're sort of training against you know owen farrell and Manu Tuolangi um, during the week and then you come back to sale and, you know, you're, you're not even in the match day 23. 
you know, I wonder whether mentally he's thinking, well, hang on a minute, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an England, I'm an England player. Well, why can't I get, why can't I play for sale? And the truth is, well, you got given the opportunities and you didn't nail down the position in the way that Luke James and Sam James have. So you've got to wait, be patient and wait your turn. And when you've seen players like Jamie George at Saracens who did that, and, you know, in the past at sale, people were just thrown in, weren't they? Because we didn't have anyone else. Now, some of these guys might have to, just going to have to wait their turn. They might have to wait until sort of 21, 22 to get a game for sale rather than 18 or 19. And... Um, you know, I, I, it's a bit of a shame that he's uh, he's he's not decided to to stay around. But as I said, we don't 100 percent know what's driving the decision. But at least we're being compensated. And if his if he does realise his potential, we do lose. But at least we're compensated financially. Yeah, so that's a really good point there, James. As well, that we should have mentioned off the top is that sale in their press release said that they received a six-figure compensatory sum uh, from Bath for, for the purposes of buying that red pass contract. So, like you said very astute uh, off-field manoeuvring from Sale to identify the, the premiership-caliber prospects in the in the academy, and, you know, have them sign long-term deals to obviously give them some security, but obviously give the club some security as well. And it means that if there are any more opportunities like this in the future with, with players like Redpath, it means that Sale are protected somewhat from a team that can maybe offer slightly more favourable circumstances. Uh, so, Cam Redpath will no longer be a sales shark, unfortunately, and that means, of course, that he won't play any part in Sale's next Premiership game, which is away to Gloucester at King's Home on Friday night. Uh, and to talk us through the players who will be playing for both Gloucester and Sale, I'm going to hand things right back to James. So, James? All right, so, yeah, Gloucester have lost their last four games in all competitions. Uh, away at Toulouse, uh, got battered there. Away at Bristol, lost pretty heavily there. Lost at home to Exeter, uh, lost pretty heavily there, and then lost a bit tighter, but we're always coming from behind. Irish were well clear um, away at Irish. So, yeah, it's four games in a, in a row that they've lost. Um, so they're not in, a, in great shape. Um, you know, Irish are now in the top six and are three points clear of Gloucester in the table. So I think that puts into perspective just how far Gloucester have nosedived in, in the last few weeks. Um, I don't think any of those are ridiculous results. I think if you saw the uh, fixtures at the beginning of the year, you'd probably say, uh, you know, losing at home to Exeter, that could happen. Uh, even away at Irish, you know, it's possible. Uh, away at Toulouse and Bristol, fair enough, we're, we're going to lose those games. But, the, you know, they're out of the top six now. And this, don't forget, is a team who came third last season. And most, including us, thought that they would push on to challenge the big two. So they could even challenge for a home semi-final um, this year. Um, it's not out of the question. They're not so far behind. They can't make it up. But, uh, you know, things have obviously gone not too well for them the last few weeks. And I wonder, you know, how reliant they are on Danny Cipriani. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he, he had an injury. He missed some of those games that I've mentioned. And he's also having a bit of a tough time in his personal life. And I wonder if how much that's impacted things. Another thing to throw in is, of course, last two weeks been without Willie Hines who's been with England and he's their captain I think he makes the world the, the world tick for them uh, and, and Callum Braley's also been with Italy so it does leave them quite reliant on Joe Simpson behind the scrum um, who I don't think that at this time of the year is kind of his peak conditions I think he's your hard track number nine lots of running with the ball I don't think his kicking game is exceptional uh, and if Sips isn't playing at, at, at 10 or, or his mind's not quite on it then I think that affects their kicking game and manoeuvring what is 
quite a big pack around the around the pitch. They are back at home. I think they're going to be targeting this game massively now. You know, this is a must win for them. And they'll be looking to the, this big pack of theirs, the likes of Mostert, the likes of Ackerman, the likes of Ben Morgan, um, who's probably lost a bit of the form he had at the beginning of the season. Uh, Grobler, Rapavel Ruskin, who's getting a run of games now. He's, he's fit this season. Murray, I really like him as a... Uh, as a hooker, I mean, he's gritty. I think he's tough. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to be bloody up for it. You know, I've said before, you know, when you're playing in front of the shed, in front of a load of tanked up uh, on cider Gloucester fans, you know, you need to be physically up for the fight. Otherwise, it can be a pretty dark place to go. Historically, we've done not too bad going to Gloucester uh, and, and being up for that kind of atmosphere. Um, and I think we're going to have to be, and this is our opportunity to get that consistency that I talked about earlier, because it is a big opportunity for sale. You know, we win and we go there and uh, we go 10 or 11 points clear of Gloucester in the table. That's a, you know, that's like three wins clear. I know we're only just over halfway through the season, but even so, they're one of our big rivals. One of the teams that I think we could safely say could beat us definitely on their day home or away. In fact, did beat us um, at home earlier in the season. And so, you know, I think this is a big game for us. Get the consistency, win, and and we sort of move quite clear from them. So um, I don't know what you guys um, think of what's happened to Gloucester's form and, and what that might mean for our mentality going into the game. It just feels like a classic banana skin game in a lot of ways because you look at the table, Sale, second, 31 points, Gloucester, seventh, 24 points. We're over two wins clear of them as it stands. And yet we go into this game, away form has been uh, Exeter away aside, pretty spotty this year. Uh, Gloucester are a team that have been on a downturn in form but still have a massive pack and still have game changers all over the field. And it does kind of feel like this is, I mean, I don't know how many times we've said this over the course of the season, this is another litmus test for Sale to see just how real this this stretch of form is for them and just how good this team actually is. Because it's all well and good sitting up in, in second place in the table, but... You know, they, <laughs> a loss on Friday and some win and some other games going against them, and all of a sudden they could drop out of the top four completely. And so it does feel like this is the chance once again for Sale to kick on and and as we mentioned before, really cement themselves in in the top four with a win over not just a team that is uh, currently in contention for the top six and obviously as a result the top four with uh, with how the season's going. But also a team that Sale, in theory, should beat. This is a Gloucester team missing some of their best players. They're out of form. Yes, you're going away to the to King's home on, on a Friday night. It will be a difficult game. But if Sale are serious about being the second best team in the league and, and maybe even pushing further on, this is the this is the type of game where they need to sort of, sort of flex their muscles and show their credentials as, uh, as, as proper contenders. So, Alex, with that in mind, obviously Sale... Did a fantastic job of, of dispatching Leicester last week without Aka van der Merwe, without Rohan van Rensburg, without Pap de Klerk, etc. etc. Obviously, we are still waiting for, for injury updates on those above players, but if those players are available, do they come straight back into the sale team for you? Or do you think Sale have enough strength in depth, given what we saw last week, to, to maybe operate with a, a similar strength team against Gloucester on this Friday night? Um, I think the way we're playing, you know, well, the way we played against Leicester certainly um, should give us encouragement to stick with certain players in key positions. I think the Dupreas are both playing really well. 
Um, I think, you know, the back row is sort of whoever you pick, it's going to go pretty well. You know that John is probably going to play six. You know Dan Debris is going to play eight. And then we can have Wilson or Curry in at seven. Um, looking at the rest of the team, I think um, I really like Ustazen at one. I think he brings a lot of sort of fight and grit. Um, and, you know, it, uh, we had on Friday night that Ustazen played 40 and Harrison played 40. That works for me. You know, you've got two quality players there. Um, Rob Weber, I think, is a really good person to have playing against Gloucester. Um, you know, Akko obviously brings that sort of dynamism. Um, I'm not sure how fit he is uh, and whether he'll be back. Um but, you know, I don't think there's a lot of changes to be made to this team. You know, Will Cliff and Rob Dupree are playing really well together, so keep that going. And, you know, the whole back line from, from Friday night looked pretty solid to me. And what you'd want against a Gloucester team, you know, solidity in defence. Luke James is a good tackler. Um, Sam James is a good defender in the 13 channel for me. I know people always say he isn't, but I do think he is. Uh, Hammersley is a really solid 15. And then um, having Solomon and Yard on the wings, um, obviously just their attacking um, sort of capability outweighs what are probably slight defensive flaws. Um, so that backline doesn't really change much for me. Um, if Rohan's fit, obviously that poses a, an issue and a problem and a selection question. Um, but I, I genuinely think the, t- the backline against Leicester proved that they are defensively very sound and in attack can create things. So um, I wouldn't change a lot there. Maybe a little bit of tinkering in the forwards, but again, you know, Evans is playing so well. Webber's playing so well. Don't take those guys out when they're playing well and potentially in the last year of their of their careers. Um, you know, let's in a way get the most out of them, especially given their fit and on form. Um, so yeah, not a massive amount of changes for me. I mean, you could go the other way and say you've got players like Faf. You know, I'm not sure how far away Lude is from coming back. Um, that would change the game and spark something and, you know, did spark something against Gloucester away last year. Um, but, you know, for me, I think we have got a, such a sort of almost embarrassment of riches. It's not necessarily riches, but we've got such good players in every position that we can afford to, you know, rest people when we need to. And if Faf's coming back from a knee injury, let's not throw him straight in as against starting against Gloucester. Leeds coming back from a shoulder injury, same thing. You know, let's ease them back into the team because we can afford to because we've got a really good squad now. And, you know, I really like the balance of the squad on Friday night. I think they looked good on, on the pitch. And, and, you know, let's build on that confidence. And maybe the key to winning games is holding off the tinkering and having a bit of consistency. We did, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, let's... I think there's very few positions where people aren't playing well enough to be dropped, um, if that makes sense. I think everyone's playing very well. So keep them in and, and keep them playing for me. Yeah, I think that seems very fair. I think I think you make a really good point about the clerk as well. If he, Even if he is match fit, maybe we look at starting him next week. Uh, sorry, the week after next when, uh, when we play London Irish because then that's kind of a game where you imagine might be slightly less uh, pressure on him to perform and, and maybe uh, uh, against the... Well, I mean, I shouldn't say this really given the Irish are ahead of Gloucester at the moment, but I think on the face of it, you probably say maybe starting to clerk away at Gloucester on a Friday night probably isn't ideal uh, can, when you can maybe give him that, the full 80 minutes or whatever against London Irish the week after. Uh, and it's probably the same with someone like Van der Merwe as well. I would say, obviously, if Van Rensburg is fit, I think we don't have a light-for-light replacement for him. I think Luke James did a fantastic job the last couple of weeks, but if Van Rensburg's fit, you get him back in the team. But otherwise, I completely agree that you need to basically 
Um, you know, stick with the team that's had a couple of up and down weeks, but basically the same team that beat Exeter, the same team that's just thumped Leicester, uh, and a team that's got you up to second in the table. So uh, let's uh, let's do some predictions then. Uh, James, uh, it's been a while since we last heard your dulcet tone, so I'll let you uh, I'll let you start. Blimey, uh, I hadn't even thought about it. I hadn't got that far. Um, God, I think you're right. I think it could be a bit of a banana skin this one. I think Gloucester are going to turn up at some point. I haven't lost the last four games, so I'm going to go for a, a Gloucester win. But I think it's going to be really tight. It's going to be something like Gloucester 22, Sale 20, something like that. Okay, yeah, I can absolutely see that. And ironically, that that would mean that Gloucester would do the double over us this season compared to us doing the double over them last year. So you've gone for 22 points to 20, James. I'm going to go for 23 points to 19 in favour of Gloucester. Again, it does feel like a bit of a banana skin game. Gloucester should be able to match up quite well with us um, up front, even missing some of their players. And I do think uh, that home advantage isn't perhaps as strong as it has as always been at King's Home uh, anymore, as the last couple of weeks have shown. But I think what we're seeing this year especially is that teams at home tend to beat the team at home tends to beat the, the team that's visiting, especially when they're in that sort of middle middle tier of uh, of Premiership teams. I think it's only really Exeter and maybe Saracens, although they uh, conceded 60 last week. Um, that can sort of go away with any sort of confidence to teams and expect to pick up results. So I think, uh, yeah, 23-19 to Gloucester is, uh, is my pick. Alex? Uh, I'm going to be contrary and go for Sale 21, Gloucester 19. I just fancy us to spoil the party. And I think, you know, maybe I really hope we're going to kick on from last week. It's more a hope than expectation. Um, but, you know, someone's got to predict a win. So this week it'll be me and I'll take the fall if we lose. Brilliant. Well, thank you for being such a team player. So I think that's it for another week of the Shark Time. Thank you to everybody who's been tweeting us over the weekend. Thank you to everyone who sent in their three-word reviews. Uh, thank you for everyone who's been tweeting us about transfer rumours. We didn't really get time to go into it today, uh, but it sounds like from what we've heard from some of our sources and, and from what's been reported, everything corroborates uh, with a lot of the names that you guys are tweeting uh, at us. So maybe keep uh, keep that up and it might help uh, Diamond released the, the names of the signings a couple of weeks early as well. Um, so that's everything from myself. Uh, Alex, James, is there anything from you guys? Not, Not me. Jinx. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you uh, both of you for joining me once again. Thank you to everyone for listening and uh, we'll speak to you uh, next week after uh, after Cell versus Foster. Yeah.